0: Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you USA Today best-selling author of YA and adult novels, Raquel Vasquez gitterland whose latest novel, Witch of Wild Things, was released in September. Raquel, a Mexican-American poet, novelist, and painter, is in conversation with New York Times best-selling author of X-Talk, and today, tonight, and tomorrow, Rachel Lynn Solomon also a writer of ya and adult novels rachel's latest book business or pleasure was released in july enjoy the conversation as they discuss their latest books their process and how they research their characters sex lives inspiration starts now
1: hi rachel how are you doing oh i'm good it is so nice to talk to you after Kind of seeing you online for a while, being on emails with you, and yeah, finally getting face to face and voice to voice is always exciting.
2: Yeah, I I'm actually really disappointed that we haven't been able to do an event yet because I feel like our we've been in our careers or in our trajectory has come very close. So we oh my both, God, they have. have. We both had the same editor at Simon Pulse last Simon. Mean, schuster it's transformed jen who's amazing and then mm-hmm. and now we have the same editor at berkeley right you're with christine
1: yep and then we also now have the same agent
2: oh you do oh my god you're with elizabeth
1: now yes oh, as guys. of a few months ago that is so cool i love so that. i don't know who's following who but you know <laughs> one of us in the same name so really it is a surprise that we haven't talked until now right i'm I kept hoping,
2: you know, when especially when I was doing the young adult, like during the COVID times, like a lot of virtual and digital events, I kept like waiting to be masked with you for something, but it didn't happen. So I'm so excited to talk now. I've actually been taking notes, um, for this conversation. So I think it would be fun to say that coincidentally, I had one of my neighbors who loves reading romance, stopped by my house randomly, and dropped off business or pleasure. She just dropped it off. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a bunch of Rachel and Solomon books if you want to read them. So I went through my whole library and and picked up like everything I had and gave them to her. And so we've been totally fangirling on you for like the last two weeks. And she actually um, wanted me to ask you a couple questions, which I'll like get to whenever they come up, (laughs) because she's such a big fan. But I wanted to um, start by with business or pleasure because that's the most recent book that I've read, and just what I what really appealed to me about it as far as themes was the sex positivity because that's something that I'm super super interested in in um, kind of it's kind of a special interest of mine, and I was wondering how do you how do you approach it. When you're writing especially romance i'm assuming that's probably for me that's where it comes up the most when i'm writing romance um how do you approach that like sex positivity
1: that is a great question and i also just have to say thank you to you and your neighbor because that is uh, so lovely and, and so nice to hear thank you um and i have obviously been a fan of yours too through having the same editor twice and Um, now the same agent, I feel like our paths will just keep intersecting. Uh, and so with Business or Pleasure, yes, that was my most recent release. And I will just give a quick pitch of that for anyone listening who is unfamiliar and might be interested. Uh, so Business or Pleasure is an adult romantic comedy about a ghostwriter who has a terrible one night stand with a C-list actor having no idea who he is only to learn the next day that she has been hired to write his memoir. Uh, And in case that weren't awkward and complicated enough, uh, she lets slip to him that their night together was not as magical as he thought it was, and she offers to give him a few pointers in the bedroom. So sex is really uh, the main driving plot in this book, which was way too fun to write to the point where I can't believe I actually got paid to do it. I was like, I should be giving someone else money (laughs) for for how much I'm enjoying writing this book. And in a lot of books with the sort of seduction lessons or, you know, kind of teach me how to be better in bed uh, trope, it's almost always, um, you know, if it's a male female partnership, it's almost always the guy teaching the girl. And, while that can be really fun to read, I think, and I feel this way about a lot of old romance as a whole, um, a lot of it is not super empowering because there's this implication that a man knows a woman's body better than she does. And when you put, when you always put the man in charge, whether he's this kind of domineering alpha that used to be the only type of man you would see in romance, um, or uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know, just any other, any other type of guy like on the alpha spectrum, when you put him in charge, I think it really takes away a lot of the um, autonomy and empowerment that romance is really known for. And even though a lot of those old books, because they were centering women's pleasure and it was really groundbreaking at the time, um, we have evolved to a point where it does not have to be all like, you know, kind of decided by the man how that sex scene should happen. So I really wanted to write a book that solidly put my female protagonist in the driver's seat. And I felt like what better way to do that than to have her teach a man how to please her in bed. And uh, of course they are telling each other that this is completely casual, but falling in love along the way. Uh, And I, I feel like it really enabled me to, Undo some of the hard, harmful things that I read growing up, or that I was told going growing up, um, and I like I felt hugely empowered writing it. And I'll I feel like I've said the word empowered five times at least. Um, promise, I'm a writer. Uh, but it, it's really cool to see what what people take away from that book. So thank you. Was, it's
2: definitely like I love all your books, but that one and same. My neighbor Kim. She felt the same way. This was our favorite. And I think we just both loved the awkward sex scene, which is really, really weird to find in romance. I've actually have done a couple interviews because on, on a similar topic, the topic of awkward sex scenes, because in my latest novel, Witch of all Things, the sex scene is pretty awkward. And and people like I had somebody write me to tell to inform me, you know, this is really this is really cringe, like, just so you in case you didn't know. And I was like, no, I I know, I meant to write it that way. It's cringe for, because that's what works for these characters. I have I've been having a difficult time with reading super idealistic sex scenes in which, yeah, you know, for for the um, male female romance in particular, the man, is a savant he's he knows everything Mm -hmm. about her he knows what she likes he knows how to make her multi-orgasmic with barely any effort and and she'll say no i can't i can't uh or i can't have an orgasm from penetration and he'll be like but you haven't tried it with me yet you know (laughs) and then it's her wrong you know
1: (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah like i think the statistic is something like 70% 70% of women do not have orgasms from penetration. So I'm like, uh, I just, my friend, Kim, who's the counselor and counsels women, um, for the most part women, we both were just like, this was amazing. It was amazing. And I just loved, even though it was very sad for him, I loved Finn when she told him, or, you know, kind of had this slow reveal of, you know, are you, you really thought that was, uh, mind blowing. I think this is the word. He really thought that was mind blowing, and he was like, "Oh shit!" And I think it's be- it was very cathartic as a woman reading, as as a woman, a straight woman who, who has had less than stellar experiences, and and Finn's humility was just so refreshing because it felt like uh, not something I had ever experienced before, and this is why. This is why if I ever, you know, am recommending romance to man, I'm gonna recommend this one. Like that's the first recommendation because his humility is
1: just so amazing. (laughs) It's perfect. Thank you. It was it was so much fun doing events for this book and like looking out at the audience and it's ninety-seven percent women, except for a few like Gen X husbands who were very clearly dragged there. And I was just like, ooh, they are gonna have some interesting conversations tonight. Yeah, Um, but I love love what you said about the cringe sex scene in Witch of Wild Things. And full disclosure, I have not read it yet, but it is at the tippy top of my TBR. And I mean, nothing could get me to read something faster than you saying there's an awkward sex scene. Um, But because both of us come from writing YA and now we've both moved into adult romance as well. I'm curious how you made the decision to include sex in the book. And was that something you always Wanted to do, like, were you on the fence about how graphic you wanted to get? Because for me, it was just complete freedom, like open the floodgates, put it all on the page, as you could probably tell from business or pleasure. So I know you read Moon Quintus because thank you for blurbing it.
2: <laughs> Moon Quintus Fell in Love with the Universe is my second YA novel. And one of the themes is sex positivity in it. And um, there is an open door sex scene in that book. And basically how I approached it was um, focusing more on the character dialogue with one another and being a little bit more vague with descriptions just because I you know for for it to be age appropriate, I didn't want it to read like, you know adult an adult scene or erotica or whatever. It was more focused on the emotion and the dialogue and the connection between the characters. So for, for witch of wild things, there is one, like there's a couple of sex scenes, but one that's like the main one. And um, for that, because the characters, so one of the characters, this isn't a spoiler, um, the, the main, proto- or the main female protagonist is Sage and her partner is 10 short for Tennessee and so sage is this is her first sexual encounter after a very traumatic experience which is part of the reason why it was very awkward for them at first and um and so there was still the focus on of course the emotional component and their connection but i felt like i could be more descriptive with specifically what they were doing i could write the word clit and and i and it It was age appropriate to put that in there, specifically what he was... Actually, you know what? I don't even know if I... I'm not... I feel like I might have not put the word "clip" now, but I would have if it called for it (laughs) for a novel. I definitely put it in the next book in the series. I know that. But that said, Sage, since she was so much more cautious with sex, her scene isn't as um, explosive as her sisters who's next in the series her sister is a lot more sexually open and that's why I feel like I did what you did which was like let the floodgates open I think you said or some something like that Mm -hmm. I kind of just there's multiple sex scenes they get it on a lot and she is like super um super vocal about what she wants from him and vice versa and that's just because that was more true to her character that's why I felt like I had the more freedom to write freaky things, I guess. (laughs) So
1: I I love that. I I feel like we should send an edible arrangement to our editor. Like, thank you for giving us the freedom to get freaky. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: I hope this is the first time. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I hope this is the first time and the most times that the word clit has been mentioned on this podcast. (laughs) We really need to talk about the clit more, just... (laughs) society
2: wise.
1: <laughs> I know, like, I, I don't know if you've had, cause you've done a couple, um, you've done some in-person events for Witch, yeah? Yes. And it's like, it's very weird doing an event about a romance novel and specifically, I mean, because *The Sister Pleasure was about sex, um, you know, talking to an audience of people, but also being aware, aware that there are just some random people shopping in the store and wondering what they're overhearing
2: yeah (laughs) luckily for me i haven't done it at the store yet it was at the library where you know i had my own room people could have wandered in um so that that's possible but i think it was less of a less of a random person hearing me say clit at that in that scenario um but still you know you never know who's going to hear and you know It's going to improve their life, you know, by reading your work or encountering your work. So, um, yeah, I, I was wondering, so in the book, I have my notes in front of me because I have a migraine, so I can't remember specific things right now. In the book, Chandler had studied, uh, in school, she had studied sex, something with sex education. Now, I can't remember. I know you do,
1: obviously, but can you explain The kind of research you did for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I of course, as most authors probably can, I can't I also cannot remember the exact detail. I think it's a minor in gender and sexuality studies. Okay, that sounds Um, much more right than what I was thinking. But it also it's something in that vein. Because you I mean, you know this. When you're talking out of when you're promoting a book, you're always writing like at least one or two books later. So book that you're promoting you're like i can't remember Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's in there like i mean you know not remembering if you used clit in that book maybe it's in one of those drafts but who knows if that actually made it to the final book we have all these versions of it swimming in our heads um yeah honestly the research for this book i feel like this might also be a first for this podcast because um I, i watched some porn uh as research because I think it's really interesting observing um, things that are very clearly geared toward a male viewer versus a female viewer and just how that reframes the entire scene. Um, I did a lot of, I, actually, I, well, I, mean, I didn't, <laughs> I did not just watch porn for, <laughs> to write this book. There was other like, other research involved. Um, the, what? I said that's valid. Even if you just watch porn, that's valid research. Sometimes even before, like even not just this book, sometimes I do watch in a way to um, frame the sex scenes correctly, because sometimes you need a visual and you just want to know like, OK, if two people are together in this way, what are their arms doing? And it's just easier to describe to describe when you have that, that visual aid. Um, but I read the book, uh, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, oh, which is I'm really fantastic. Oh, I'm that
2: one right now, but go, go ahead. Oh,
1: I, I, yeah, I feel like that would be totally up your alley. Um, I listened to some podcasts and then just did a lot of, you know, <laughs> general internet research. Um, because most of my research, or most of my, like, my own sex education actually came from romance novels. So, I mean, romance novels are always kind of a a piece of research. Um, But what you were saying earlier, you know, I don't know what the, I think you said that, you know, 70% of women can't orgasm just through penetration. I had no idea that that was true until I started reading romance novels in my mid twenties. Like that just completely, you don't learn that in sex ed in school. They're not going to tell you anything that, would improve a woman's experience during sex
2: (laughs) no they act like the pleasure doesn't even exist as far for what i was educated on in school pleasure
1: wasn't even part of it of the conversation no absolutely not and if it is it is entirely about his pleasure right
2: um i actually i actually posted a sorry i have to remember numbers now because i'm opening my phone i post it on threads which is my new writing distraction so this is a quotation <coughs> from from come as you are and it's from sex researcher robin robin mahausen so she says we're raising women to be sexually dysfunctional with all the no messages we're giving them about diseases and shame and fear And then as soon as they're 18, they're supposed to be sexual rock stars, multi-orgasmic and totally uninhibited. It doesn't make sense. None of the things we do in our society prepares women for that. That really uh, affected me because I'm I'm thinking about, you know, for me, I was raised extremely religiously and um, with a lot of slut shaming. And not, not just generally speaking, I heard especially the elder women in my family slut-shaming everyone they could. And, and it was like this message of sex is bad. You only do it when you're married. And even when you're married, you're not really supposed to enjoy it. That's, that's for loose women. You know, enjoying sex is not good. And then just uh, unlearning that has been so, sometimes so incredibly difficult. And, and the reason why I started unlearning that, to be honest, is because of romance. I didn't have anybody to present to me sex positivity, even if I read it in like scholarly articles, it did not enter my psyche until I read about women, like you to use your word, becoming empowered by owning their own sexuality and their libido and learning about what they like and then becoming vocal and um, uninhibited about what they like. So I just had to bring that up because you brought up the book I read I it that just like yesterday.
1: <laughs> That's so perfect. I feel like we are, are so on the same wavelength about that. Another book. It's slightly older, and I I'm not sure if I don't know if it would feel dated, but it is. It, it kind of initially stoked my interest in this. Is um, Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. Okay, I actually have. I'm going to show you because I have a son. This is what I have from her. Boys. And oh children. my god. <laughs>
2: I'm, for people that our audience can't see. I'm holding a boys and sex by Peggy Ornstein. Um, so that book really opened up my eyes. A couple of things that stuck out to me is that the boys and for, by boys, she means boys in high school and young men in college is who she's interviewing for this book. I haven't read girls and sex, but just specifically speaking on, boys and sex and the subtitle is young men on hookups love porn consent and navigating the new masculinity one of the things that really stuck out to me was that these men young men she spoke to uh rated their sex by how hard they could pound and for how long as far as thrusting oh, okay. penetration the woman's experience did not enter their, their bragging the way they bragged to one another was I went at her for an hour, which frankly sounds painful, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but these, these men didn't, these young men, and I'm, I'm guessing it's influence from porn. I'm sure she explains it more, but I can't remember. I read this book like two years ago. Um, it's, it's like, how do we get young men to consider the experience for their and this is, you know, heteronormatively speaking, for their partner. The orgasm gap is something like, I want to say 60% of women don't experience orgasms during heterosex. Men, it's something like 95%, they do experience orgasm. I know I'm getting those numbers probably off, but I think I'm ballpark. And I believe she was talking about this in the book with specifically lesbian women, what lesbians are, with lesbians. The sex, uh, the orgasm gap comes down to, to zero. They it's like they get to come every time, usually multiple times, because the focus is less on penetrative sex and more on uh, all the other forms of sex. So mm-hmm. that's something that's that really stuck out to me was the the bragging and and the way they measured good sex was the way that they saw it in porn, which was you know how to how to thrust as much as possible for as long as possible. <laughs>
1: Wow no that's that's so interesting and I just cannot get over the fact now that like (laughs) we really do have so much in common to the point where we're reading the same the, the exact same books pretty much on on these topics uh but it is something that like you know you wonder because these are such tremendous issues and as an author like I never want my books to be didactic and I don't want it to i don't want someone to pick up one of my books and feel like i'm pushing any kind of agenda but you also you know you want to think like what are readers taking away from this and if this is if someone is reading my book as a young woman and feels like they are being empowered (laughs) there's got to be a synonym out there uh feels like they are given the agency and kind of the the courage to ask for what they want in future relationships and to like kind of educate their partners in some way then that's like I mean that's all I could hope for do you it does not have to be sex related but what do you do you feel like it changes with each book like what you want your readers to take away or is there something like if someone is reading a Raquel Vasquez Gilliland book what what kind of themes are they being left with
2: oh um I think up until the most recent book I just finished which is called lightning in her hands and it's so I'll try to pitch the witch of wild things because it's going to put things into perspective so Sage Flores is a young woman who is returning to Cranberry Virginia she doesn't want to return because she tried to escape family conflict and trauma after the death of her youngest sister um but she has to return because she's out of money and out of a job and so she 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 returns, to use a word multiple times. I'm doing it now too. <laughs> she comes back, and she uh, she has to face these uh, a lot of drama with her middle sister. So it's three sisters. All these women are gifted with powers. So Sage's power is plant communication. Her middle sister Teal is her power is. Uh, Weather, weather controlling or not controlling is her problem so the second book is lightning in her hands and it's about Teal who controls the weather and um, So for all the books I have written, I feel like people would take away and this is actually including my poetry collections uh, hopefully a deeper feeling of connection with the earth and our more than human uh, Ancestors and and the, the more than human creatures we share the earth with, so ancestors and who we currently share the earth with, and it's kind of like almost an animistic look at the world because I'm pulling from pre-colonial beliefs from my own ancestry. Teal's book is different. I'm still trying to figure out what 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 it is. So mm-hmm. she's it's my first book where I'm really really talking about mental health she has bipolar disorder and it's it's uh it's so it so as someone who i deal with anxiety i have um, obsessive compulsive disorder i was diagnosed with that two years ago so this isn't similar to bipolar disorder but what is similar is just the struggle of the weight of difficult mental health times of difficult mental health and so it's uh so i feel like Teal's book, Lightning in Her Hands, is going to be more focused on that, but I'm still not sure specifically what. And I think that, you know, I'm autistic, slow processing. I'll figure it out eventually. Hopefully by the time I'm, I'm doing promotion for her work. So um, what about you? What do you think the the braided, like braided themes of your work are?
1: Yeah, sometimes I worry that I'm writing the same book over and over again. They're like, God, why are these women so empowered when it comes to their bodies? Uh, No, I mean, that's, I think that that's definitely a big theme. Um, My books have an element of mental health as well. Um, OCD is something that comes up quite a bit. Um, Something that I have dealt with for a long, undiagnosed for a long time, like diagnosed in my 20s and then still kind of figuring out how to deal with it on a daily basis because it's just yeah it just depends on on a lot of a lot of things Um, depression is something that comes up in a lot of my books which is an interesting thing to incorporate when you're writing romantic comedies Uh, Mm -hmm. but i felt it's something i feel so strongly about because we talk so much in romance and i think it is in terms of fiction i think romance is really the most inclusive Base of them all. And of course, that's easy to say, because that's the space that, that I'm in. It's the one that I know the most about. But it really does feel like a place that prioritizes so many different stories and giving space to stories that we haven't read before. Um, and with regard to, uh, I mean, the two things that I can personally speak to, you know, uh, mental health and Judaism, um, those two things always play a role in my book in terms of the main character's identity is that not being a journey that they're on necessarily, but just one piece of who, one piece of their identity that informs how they view the world. Uh, and then I think there's also just a lot of like, who, who am I? Uh, no, you know, that's just a, that's a, probably too big of a question, but a lot of characters grappling with, um, their identities as connected to their careers. And my first three adult novels, um, The x talk Weather Girl, and Business or Pleasure, are pretty solidly workplace romances. And I did not want to write another one after that, because I wanted to see if I could write a book with someone who either, who is uncertain about their place in the world career-wise, and um, ends up Uh, ends up in a place where she has a non-traditional job or at least a job that we maybe wouldn't see as often in a a romance novel. Um, And I'm doing a a terrible job talking about it because it's not a book that I have anything official um, up about, but it's a, the book that I'm working on now which is about a woman who moves to Amsterdam and ends up renting a room from her first love. um, A Dutch man who was a foreign exchange student living with her family 10 years ago. So it's like a second chance romance uh, set in Amsterdam. I'm so Uh,
2: excited. I
1: didn't know this was going to be. I I literally like just closed the document before I logged on and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, And I, I think I also have a lot of women and, you know, girls in my way, YA books who are figuring out their relationship with their bodies, not just sexually, but just, the comfort and the weight of living in a female body and the expectations and perceptions of it. And it's, it's actually something I think a lot about and want to explore more deeply in the future because it I just think there are a lot of really fascinating narratives um, with regard to our, our bodies.
2: Thinking about what you just said and um, Weather Girl, Ari, is it Ari? Mm-hmm. Or, okay, Ari. Um, the sexism she faced in the workplace and how she kind of kept brushing it off because she didn't want to make it a big deal. She didn't want to, um, she, didn't, she She. was trying to be a people pleaser, which I think all, all women can relate to. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she realized that Playing the game was not helping her, you know, and that was also very, you know, it's it wasn't the sexual part of her narrative, but it was also equally empowering. I love their first sex scene, the mutual masturbation, by the way. <laughs> just to, oh, thank you That's... talking about the sex scenes. You write them so well.
1: <laughs> mutual masturbation. Well, I... Go ahead. <laughs> Under well, it's underrated. I have been tagged in a review once that was like. It's a Rachel and Solomon book. There's going to be masturbation. (laughs) Like What a thing to be known for. I'm like turning bright red. Fortunately, no one could see me. Uh, No, but there's actually a reason for that. And it's that, uh, first of all, it's an amazing way to show two characters getting more comfortable with their bodies together and having the, you know, the woman protagonist that I'm usually writing show the love interest what she likes. Um, And again, it can be empowering. <laughs> uh and also what you were saying before about like the orgasm gap and like when you have two women together that percentage is 0 um there's so much focus on like penetrative sex in romance novels i mean less now than there used to be but i think so often that is the only thing that is quote unquote sex I mean, I can't count the number of books where they have done everything else, but they haven't done that. And they're like, well, we haven't had sex yet. I'm like, "Eh, you definitely have. Mm -hmm. So I think I am also trying in my writing to undo a bit of that heteronormative view of sex, because there are a million things that you can do. And I think that writing, I, I, I think I actually think penetrative sex is my least favorite thing to write because it's. Sort of, um, uh, I don't know what's what's the word like. There's not as much. I'm picturing like going to an ice cream shop, and it's like if you pick that one flavor every single time. But there are like how many flavors does Baskin Robin have? You know there are thirty other flavors. Um, why are you always going for? Should I call it vanilla? Why are you always going for vanilla? <laughs> right. You know it's interesting.
2: You said. Um just popping back to the orgasm gap, you mentioned porn research. So I, I've also looked at porn, like every modern person probably. Mm. And the one thing, especially, you know, most of it is focused on the male gaze and male pleasure. And one of the things I could not get over was how the woman's pleasure was always super fake. And I, and the orgasms were, were not real. I just feel like the, the over the top acting was also the part. It was also a performance for male pleasure. And, um, because it really does a disservice to men watching because, um, and, and because like, for instance, in business or pleasure, Chandler fakes it and Finn buys it. And I just feel Mm -hmm. like, um, let me try to put the words together. I used to have brain fog. <laughs> I feel like, um, when, when, probably when anyone has an orgasm, it's really hard to control your features, the way your body tenses. There's like trembling for some people. It's completely uninhibited. It's not, a, it's not a person looking really pretty and throwing their hair back a certain way and arching their back a certain way to make sure you can see the, you know, their ass and, and their chest, you know, like at the same time. <laughs> and it's not that. And so I just, I don't know. I couldn't get over that. I know there is feminist porn out there. I should probably check out, but, um, but yeah, that was just something that that came to mind. I also wanted to recommend, I don't know if you've read this yet. This is a, a rom-com a monster rom-com. And it's called Berries and Greed by Lily Main, M-A-Y-N-E. Oh, um, it's a book about a woman who has... Now I'm going to forget how to pronounce it, hopefully. It's vaginismus, an, 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 the condition oh, yeah. where, yeah. A, condition where um, a woman can't do penetration because her uh, the vaginal muscles contract and it's way too painful for her. Uh, uh, so there's more I could say about that, but I'll just she has that she can't do penetration so they don't and it's like never a problem it is the sweetest fluffiest cinnamon roll male love interest store i really enjoyed it so that's I when you that. talk wait about what's I'll the title again it's called berries and greed like berries like okay. the fruit you eat and greed it's very sweet very fluffy
1: low stakes <laughs> so so there's
2: one right. recommendation
1: <laughs> No, that sounds great. And we clearly have the same taste. Um, one thing I am curious about, because ever since I started writing adult in addition to YA, the number one question that people have asked me is, are you going to stop writing YA? Um, weirdly, no one asks, us, asks if I'm going to stop writing adult books. I think the assumption is like, oh, now you've grown up. Now you write for adults. Are you going to stop writing for teenagers? And I personally am hoping to be able to continue writing both because um, I, I love them both for different reasons. But I would love to hear from you. Are you planning? Are, are you wanting to keep writing both? Do you feel like adult is where you want to be? Okay, you're nodding. So I think <laughs> you, you have something to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have written
2: two young adult manuscripts that I need to fix. Um, it's hard for me to fix something when I'm Contracted to fix something else, though. Mm-hmm. So, and right now I have, you know, I'm I'm writing a, an adult series, and um, you're incredible. I was going to actually ask you about your your how prolific you are because I, my just the way my brain works, I guess, I I can really only focus on one project at a time. The ones that are I, I have, I'm contracted to write and have deadlines for are the ones that obviously are prioritized. I have two young adult manuscripts. One, I'm just... It's like my most favorite thing I've ever, ever, ever written. And it just needs a huge revision. (laughs) So, yeah, I want to keep writing on young adult. I feel like with young adult, um, one of the things I really love about it is that... Well, for me specifically, because I'm multi-genre, I can be more experimental with with the genre mashups. With adult, I... um, (laughs) I was like talking to uh, my, our agent. Now I know it's our agent. (laughs) So I was, when I first started to write, which of all things, I was like, what if, you know, what if there's a little bit of time travel? And she's like, "Mm, no, that's not really. She's like, it sounds fun, but for the market, it's not really what, what people are excited to buy because it's uh, two out there. But with YA, I'm pretty sure, I I haven't had this conversation yet, but I'm pretty sure if I was like, what if three is just a little bit of time travel, there would be more open to that sort of fun experimenting. So yes, short answer. And you actually have a young adult book coming out. So I wanted to ask you to pitch that one, because I have not looked at anything about it. It's past, present, and future, not and, past, present, future, which is, um, in the same world as Today, Tonight, Tomorrow, which is actually your first book, the first book I read of yours. I own it and love it. I still have to give it to my friend Kim. (laughs) I forgot to give her that one. Can you tell me about Past, Present, Future?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, I'll actually pitch Today, Tonight, Tomorrow first because the Past, Present, Future is a sequel. Um, So Today, Tonight, Tomorrow is my favorite book that I've ever written. Um, And it is a an enemies to lovers or rivals to lovers romantic comedy set over 24 hours on the last day of senior year. So it's sort of, um, kind. it's very much in the vein of like Booksmart or um, my original inspirations were the movie Before Sunrise and also the movie Dazed and Confused, which is very problematic. I don't actually recommend it, but it was one of those you know, kind of classic 80s teen movies. And that book or that movie takes place all in 24 hours on the last day of senior year. And I just loved that energy there and kind of all of that nostalgia and the the fear of the unknown. And you're sort of on the precipice of, of everything. Um, so I, I took a lot of those elements and created these two characters, these rival overachievers who have hated each other for the past four years and of course, as they are thrown together on the last day of senior year, realize that they are actually in love with each other. And, um, yeah, these two characters are just so close to my heart. Um, it was my first, I had wrote two books before this one that were a little bit quieter, a little, um, sadder. So they were more straightforward contemporary and this was my first true romance and just completely fell in love with it. Uh, and I was really fortunate that, I, when I pitched a sequel to my publisher, which was not anything I ever thought I would write because the book takes, you know, it ends when they are graduating high school and they're together. So I felt like the story was over. Um, but I just like, couldn't let go of those characters. And I felt like I wanted to give them more of a happy ending and also more, I don't want to say I wanted to give them more struggles, but like, There's only so much that you can um, kind of surmount in terms of obstacles over 24 hours when your relationship is just starting out. So Past, Present, Future, long-winded way of explaining, but it is a a book about these two characters, Rowan and Neil, and chronicles their first year of college in a long distance relationship. And the main character is an aspiring romance novelist and she they had this epic love story on the on the, their last day of senior year and as they're navigating this new long-distance relationship one of the questions that comes up is what happens after the happily ever after and how do you sustain the romance in a long-distance relationship uh, which was not something i felt i had read in a y8 novel and as you know, someone who stumbled their way through, through relationships as a teenager, because, like, who among us who dated as a teenager did not stumble through it in some way, I feel like that would have been really interesting to read. So, uh, yeah, Past, Present, Future coming out in June 2024. Um, yeah, I think it's still, even though they they start the book together and end the book together, which is not a spoiler like I would be just the cruelest person ever if I wrote a sequel only oh, to break them up um but even though those are the starting and ending points I think it's still like I hope very romantic and a lot of shenanigans and, and cute moments
2: uh this is sort of superficial but what I lo- one of the things I loved about today tonight tomorrow is that the Neil the, the male main protagonist is
1: Five eight, right? <laughs> it's yeah, something really, like that. Maybe, maybe five six. I don't okay, know. Five six. Okay.
2: He, he's uh, he's not tall, which is really rare to find in romance. And generally speaking, um, like I just I can't remember the last time I read a romance in which the male main character was under six feet. It's usually well over. Um, so <laughs> I was like, yes, Short king loves love too. Exactly. That was really, I was like, yes, this is awesome. Um, so I'm so excited to read that. Uh, and I think oh, long distance relationships in college, I would have had one if my high school sweetheart hadn't dumped me right before, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that speaks to so many young people's experiences. So that's going to be fun to read. Um, I wanted to ask my friend, Kim, who, who wanted me to let you know, she has a fan in Tennessee who really loves her work. That's well, me too. I'm in Tennessee. Um, she, Kim is the real MVP here though. <laughs> I think we can agree. <laughs> um, so she, she actually, I already asked one, which is the research you did to write human sexuality. So well her secondary question for that was, do you have any books videos, podcasts on sex, positivity, um, or human sexuality that you could recommend. She was wondering, clearly mental health is, is a theme in all her books. So I wonder if she has recommendations for mental health practitioners that would help us support our clients who struggle with symptoms like the characters in her books. Then she's a mental health predict- practitioner, so that's why she was asking.
1: Yeah, gosh, you know what? I This is another thing that I am sure that I would whenever you get ask for a book recommendation does it do you just forget every book in existence because that's usually yes. what happens for me i
2: always forget and then, then i always feel horrible so once once i made a list of books before the interview and it was amazing because i had my my note card and i was ready and i haven't done it since i haven't learned
1: so <laughs> i will actually recommend a few authors um chloe Leaf uh Maisie Eddings and Talia Hibbert. I think they all have really great mental health reps. I mean, many, many others, but those are the few that come to mind right away. Anyway, sorry, I had to I had to do that. She she's so excited. <laughs> oh, so nice. um, um, well, maybe we should wrap up with kind of a a fun question. Uh I would love to hear more about your writing routine like what does a typical writing day look like for you you have a candle burning in the background and it just looks so cozy I I just want to go over there I
2: didn't I forgot about the candle I put candles everywhere because today is Día de muertos and so they're all over the altar the it's uh day of the dead so um I I love I love gourmands which is uh Um, things that smell like food so perfumes that smell like food and candles that smell like food this one is like frosted pistachio and vanilla or something um i don't always have a candle burning though sometimes when i'm feeling very stuck I'll, i'll burn a candle for spiritual support um but if i'm like on a deadline my sweet spot unless gosh every book is different but the most recent book the sweet spot was 1000 words a day. Um, get up my, I'm I have an office, a little attic room in the office and, um, I frequently eat chocolate. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, I did, you know, I made it to 50 words. I get to eat chocolate now and I drink a lot of tea. I have special tea mugs that I drink out of including one that's a replica of Luke's diner mugs from Gilmore girls. One of my special writing mugs. I don't let anybody use them. And, um, and yeah, that's, I have a difficult time getting started. I'm assuming it's due to executive function issues. Starting the writing is the hardest part. And, mm-hmm. and that, um, when I wrote which allow things, I sometimes got 5,000 words in one day. It was just a really, really, the book kind of flowed out of me like a, like insanity some days. Uh, I wrote it in like a month and a half. And so that was different. But, but this book came out, it was more of a slower trickle. Either way, I eat a lot of chocolate. That's like the consistent <laughs> drafting. <laughs> what about for you? How do you, how does your writing look, your writing ritual or?
1: Uh, this will shock no one who has heard all of these similarities between us, but I also eat a lot of chocolate and I actually specifically ordered a big bag of really small chocolate chips so I could reward myself similar to you after each goal that I hit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll just put it at the end of my desk so I can look at it and know (laughs) what I'm working toward. That's exactly
2: what I do. Well, I don't put like the (laughs) chocolate chip, but I have to, because it's, it's kind of, you know, the chocolate chips are smaller. So you're not well, for me, I'm not exactly eating a bag of of like Snickers or whatever.
1: It's like one little chocolate chip to keep me going. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I'm not gonna- you going? <laughs> yes, like I'm so I mean, I think all writers are secretly eight years old because I'm so motivated by chocolate and by stickers. I have my journal next to me that outlines like what my goal is going to be that day. And then when I meet it, I get a sticker, I get some chocolate. And I'm happy.
2: I have a to-do list. This is my to-do list for the book I'm working on right now.
1: So there's colors,
2: highlighters and things to check off, which is very satisfying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I also, um, I, when I am drafting, I do set kind of a, an aggressive goal, like 2,000 words a day or so. Um, and then when I'm revising, it just kind of depends on the deadline. Um, but yeah, I always need to kind of map it out in my, you know... I, I got kind of into bullet journaling a few years ago, and so I get really into... I, I, I love when writing kind of gives you an excuse to flex a different creative muscle alongside it. So if I can draw and then, you know, put stickers all over like something cute in my journal that reflects the book in some way. That's very motivating. Um, So that, that and chocolate. Um, I might need to add a candle though. (laughs) Yeah, there's a,
2: um, there's a, the candles I like to burn for writing are from a company from North Carolina called Crackling Wicks. And the wicks are made out of like little pieces of wood. And so they crackle like a little fireplace. Oh my God. They have one candle that smells like library. They have one that smells like rainstorm. And so those are my favorite writing candles. Um, <laughs> oh, for definitely. anybody who wants to include that in their practice. So,
1: oh, well, I feel like that's a perfect cozy way to wrap this up <laughs> for this time yeah. of year. It was so good to get this chance to talk to you. It was really lovely just hearing your voice and hearing about your process, talking as much as we did about orgasms and clits and (laughs) (laughs) empowerment. Yeah. I
2: think this might be a new one for the podcast, the orgasms and clits, but hopefully, hopefully it gets people talking about it. It's important. These are important topics.
1: So (laughs) I mean, there are much much more things to be known for than talking about the clitoris on um, an author podcast.
2: Right. Um, yes. And thank you so much for, for talking with me too. I had a lot of fun. I knew it would be fun because I love your work, but it was really awesome to, to learn more about you. We're, we're basically kindred
1: spirits. so. <laughs> I think so too. We're going to be good friends now.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about our other episodes. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment.